Whate'er my God ordains is right, holy His will abideth. I will be still whate'er He does, and follow where He guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to Him I leave it all. I submit to you that if this song were have, would have been written in the days of the apostles and the days of Paul, he would probably sing that song a lot. Because when I read the Scripture and I read what he's written, I see the spirit of that song in the words of the Lord. That there is a contentment that is to be had in Christ. And a contentment there is to be had in what He has done. And a contentment that no matter what happens, though the foundations of the earth be thrown away and they crumble under your feet, that if you stand on the rock of ages, if that is true of you, then you have nothing to fear. And when I read, as we will be in Philippians this morning, I see a man who has understood very clearly by God's mercy that the only place in which to set your feet is on Christ. There are things that Paul will say today that so many have oftentimes, and even including myself, resigned them as cliches. And as my brother Paul Washer often says, things that people put on the back of Christian t-shirts. But if this is true and if you're in Christ, then this is more than just a saying that you wear on a t-shirt. These things are more than that. They are your life. Because truthfully, Christ is your life if you're in Him. So this morning, let's pray before we go to the Word and ask the Lord to give us guidance and direction with it. Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for Your graciousness towards us. We ask that You would bless the preaching of Your Word. Lord, we pray that you would give us guidance, that you would give us ears to see, ears to hear, eyes to see, soften our hearts, that we may take a hold of your word. Repent of what needs repenting and cling to the promises that need to be clinged to. Lord, protect me from saying foolish and vain things. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we'll be in the, the New Testament epistle letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Philippians is a book that is near and dear to my heart. One that has probably influenced me on how I live a Christian life and, and through seasons of trial and difficulty more than any other New Testament book or work. Because I see a man who loves a group of people who is dead set on encouraging them with the truths that are going to help sustain them in the midst of a very difficult time. And not only that, Paul is not writing from some high tower. He writes from a jail cell. He writes as a man who is in prison. The Philippian church was very important to Paul. And truthfully, if you read the Scripture, the first proclamation of the Gospel in Europe is in Philippi. 
to a little woman, a God-fearer named Lydia in Acts chapter 16. And you read that Paul also had a little stint in prison while he was in Philippi as well. So prison was nothing new to him. He lived in a way that that was pretty common because proclaiming Christ is kind of dangerous. I mean, really proclaiming Him. It got Jesus killed. He proclaimed the truth of the kingdom of God and He was killed for it. Paul also was killed for it. But God sustained him because he had a purpose. And we read about that purpose today. And ultimately, not to spill all the beans, but his purpose was to glorify Christ, whether he lived or whether he died. We read that Paul, writing from this Roman jail cell, was there because of God's Word. Jesus had actually said in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, that Paul was to go to Rome. In verse 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Well, that's really awesome. But when you read the very next thing, it involved a lot of prison, a lot of being tied up to somebody, a lot of shipwreck, a lot of difficulty. Paul had to ascend the hill of difficulty just to be able to get to Rome. And why was he there? He was there in part because God sovereignly said, you are going to go testify in Rome. He didn't give him the way in which he was going to arrive at that place. But the truth was is that Paul continued to appeal to Caesar. So there is a sense in which it was Paul who desired to be where he was so that he may proclaim Christ to the highest reaches of the Roman Empire. Which is an amazing thing to think about. Because he thought the power of the gospel was so important, not only for himself or for the Jews, but also for people who were not even really part of their land. He was in a foreign land. They had taken over. They were very powerful. He thought they needed Christ because all men need Christ. And so he is there. You can read about his story, and I very much encourage you to do so in Acts chapter 21 through 28, where it describes his journey in that direction. Because it's just like watching a movie in a way, because it's amazing. This man is so protected by God's providence because God had a purpose in what he was doing. And we praise the Lord that even though Paul really being falsely imprisoned upon false accusations by the Jews. Is much like Joseph in 5020, except Paul really understood Genesis 5020 more than Joseph did because he had it written for him. He could look back and say, as for you, O man, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So Paul was able to look at his circumstance at all the evil things that were being done, all the sins among the people, the, the, the difficulty and go, God, your purpose is more than this. You are using these people to accomplish something a lot bigger than me. In the same way, Paul echoes that in the book of Philippians to a group of Gentile believers in a place that is very much Roman, very much influenced by Roman society. And in that, the Philippian church also looked upon Paul with a lot of, of joy and they, they supported him financially in the midst of his time in prison, he was actually having to pay for his own way. It's not like the modern prison system where you go and you just go and you get meals and everything and 
Like that's guaranteed. No, in that day, as you can read in Acts 28, Paul was paying his own expenses. So that could, you know, for a man who couldn't build tents in his off time, for a person who was there to share the gospel, who had no ability to work, he was there and he needed help. And one of the churches that came alongside Paul and supported him in the midst of that was the Philippian church. So he looked upon them with, with great joy. And you can see that laced throughout this letter. And as we read this text, I want you to imagine yourself for just a brief moment in his position. It's hard to do that if you haven't been in prison before. Um, but imagine that. Unable to travel at your own will. You're there for what you believe. You're there to proclaim the gospel. And in God's providence, you're there because He wants you to be. And He's using you in the midst of that. What is your disposition of heart? Is it one to be despondent and think about how difficult the situation is? Or is it of a different air? An air of joy, as James speaks about in James chapter 1. Something to be counted as joy. If you will stand as we look to the text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Starting at the second half of verse 18, working through verse 30. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. For his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I read Philippians chapter one and when I read the the concern that Paul has for these believers and I, I read his testimony about his imprisonment, and we don't have time to go through it all, but through verse 12 when he speaks that 
His imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. He's actually been able to share the gospel to the farthest reaches of those who were around him regularly. So he understood deeply that God was using this affliction that he was in the midst of for his glory. And honestly, if he was not motivated by anything else, it was Christ's glory. It was that God would be glorified no matter what. Where does Paul's confidence come from? It comes from the fact that he knows who Christ is. And not only does he know that, he knows that the power of prayer of the Philippian church is going to help. Not only that, but even more so, the Spirit of Jesus Christ is going to be His deliverance. And when he talks about His deliverance, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's trusting and knowing um, confidently in, a, in such a way that he's definitely going to be delivered out of prison and he's not going to die where he's at. Actually, he's so confident that he's able to say that whether I live or whether I die, it's okay. He goes on and he speaks of rejoicing. Yes, and I will rejoice. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He was sure of deliverance. Maybe not in the way that you would think. Even though this is the the case, Paul knew and had eager expectation that no matter what happened, that it would be used for God's glory. And that reminded me of another text that he wrote in Romans 8.28. All things, imprisonments, shipwrecks, beatings, inflation, loss of business, loss of loved one, and all things, all things are being used and working together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And I honestly believe that this truth actually is what is the foundation for why He is able to say what He says. Because this is so counter to what you would think. This is so counter to even myself who fear I fear death. And oftentimes when we think about the thought of dying, we, we fear that process. And we'll say things though, like I'm ready at any time to go and be with the Lord. And we'll be going through all these things and going through all of the, all of these hardships and trials and struggles. And we're just so ready to leave them. But we forget also that God has not only ordained your salvation, but also your suffering. Knowing that, yes, we desire to depart and be with Him. But if I am to remain, what loss is it? Because I know Christ. And that's his, that's his conclusion here. That I will not be ashamed, but, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That does not make sense to the world. To be able to stand and say that no matter what happens, I know that Christ is my deliverer. 
that Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. And so that even if a man were to take my life from me, he cannot destroy my soul. But rather, we fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. And he goes on. He had a humble confidence that no matter what, that Christ would be honored with his body. He would be honored And he makes that awesome statement that is so important that we must cling to for us to live as Christ and to die as gain. When I was reading various commentaries on that, one of the commentators pointed out that to live in Christ is also gain. It's not just gain to die and be with Him. This is not a miserable existence until we get to glory. But if you are in Christ, this moment is also a moment of gain because you have him. There are those who do not have Christ and who are alienated, who are outside of the people of God and that are under the wrath of God because of their sin. They are not represented. So we come to know that it is if we live, we live because Christ and it is gain because we know him, but it is also gain in death. So whether we live or whether we die. We are okay because Christ is God and He has provided our redemption. And in both life and death, we desire the glory of Christ. He goes on to describe this idea and the struggle that he has. He says, For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul expected that the Lord would work in his ministry. He expected that the Lord would would provide opportunities, that God would not keep him here any longer, any second longer than that was absolutely necessary. But that if he is here, that he has a purpose in what he is doing. He understands that the the fruit and what his work was, if he was to remain here, was going to be fruitful. And not meaning that he was going to have so many things and receive a big ministry or do anything like that, but that God was still using him and that God still had a purpose. That even if Paul were to share the Gospel to thousands of people, millions of people from that day forward and not any one person were to ever come to know Christ other than the ones that already had, that God was still working through sanctification in Paul's life and preparing him for the glory that he was going to enter when he died. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. This is a struggle. Because his desire, his ultimate desire, was to be with his Lord. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That verse actually teaches us so much. And it actually reinforces exactly what Jesus told the thief on the cross. That when we die, we will be with him in paradise. Jesus looked upon the thief on the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise. And Paul says, and he expects the same thing. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. When he died, he just didn't enter into some non-existent state. 
He entered into the moment of glory where he was with Christ. He was with Christ. And that's what was far better for it is better to be with our Lord. But there's still work to be done, he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith. The contentment that Paul has here is not one that he was able to develop because he was a smart man. He was a smart man. It was not because he was really powerful in and of himself. He's able to say these things because Christ is his Lord. And that's it. And so I ask you this. Is verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, is that a cliche to you or is that real? And the next question is, does your life reflect that reality? When stuff hits the fan, when you lose opportunity temporally, when things are not the way that you think, you're not in prison yet. But does that ring true? To live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to remain, amen. If I am to go, amen. Paul summarizes and ends this discourse about his location and and his struggle with um, his care for the church there by giving them areas of encouragement and admonition and spurring them on. And he, he sums that up and he, he describes, describes it to them like this in verse 27. Says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Wow. Your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I know immediately that comes to my mind is my life is not worthy of Christ. But he wasn't encouraging us to do something that's not possible for us through the power of the Spirit of God. He was encouraging us to take a hold of the salvation that is on ours. And that's how he will conclude this passage of Scripture. But we cling to the gospel of Christ seeking His glory no matter what may come. And He goes on in encouraging them so that whether I see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Paul did not know where God's providence would take him, but his desire is that he would hear of the Philippian church in a positive light, that they were focused on the right things, clinging to the Gospel of Christ, that they were unified, they were of one mind, standing firm in the Spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel, despite the difficulty that may, become, that may come because He encourages them and not frightened by anything in anything by your opponents. 
in thinking of the context of this passage of Scripture. I thought about how quickly in history things have went from being positive for Christians to very negative as far as the way the world views Christians. I thought about men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was just a beggar, just like me. But in just a few short years, he went from being a man studying theology um, at the the universities in Germany to being a man in prison for daring to speak the truth about the Gospel of Christ in the midst of a very difficult situation. Even though his theology was crazy in some points, he dared to speak against what the common culture in that area was. You have things like what happened just in the last couple of years during COVID where a Canadian pastor is jailed for having church services. We often think that those types of things are very foreign to us and far away, and thank God they have been for such a long time, but it only takes a few short moments for those things to be here and be a present reality. But you don't have to be under the threat of an impending imprisonment or under the threat of death to practice what is being preached here. You just have to be a suffering Christian. Because the truth is, is that we do suffer. It is ordained for us to do that. We read in verse 29, not only has it been granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. This world is not your home. If you're not suffering, then you may be too focused on the things of the world. When I think about this text, it's not really about how good Paul is, although it may sound that way. It really has to do with the fact that God was His Savior. And we look at these passages of Scripture where he describes his experience. This is an inspired passage of Scripture. God has put this here for a purpose. To tell us this story about Paul. He is teaching us so many things through his experience. And God is using that. And he's speaking in this very thing. Please do not let these things that are said here be foreign to you. Can you say, whether I go or whether I stay, Christ will be honored? I pray for that contentment in my heart because being so focused upon what Christ has accomplished so that nothing else matters. That is an amazing place of peace for the Christian. I want to end. I want to read Psalm 56 briefly. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. 
for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. No doubt, during many of sleepless nights, Paul probably had that come to his mind. And though you may not have people speaking out against you for your faith or anything like that. That is happening to some Christians in the world and we should pray for them. But how much more when those things that rock us and shake us, the small things, what a testimony that is when we humbly submit in believing and suffering to our Lord. Hoping for the day in which we will see Him. Desiring to depart to be with Him, but content to remain as long as the Lord would have us here. I've spoken the majority of the time about Christians and the promises that we have as Christians. But if you are here today and you have not gained Christ, there is no better time than now to call upon His name and be saved. Truly, if you're not in Him this morning, then what hope and expectation do you have for the next life? There is no contentment if this is it. Indeed, without Christ, we can only expect to receive judgment. Our God is righteous, and because He is righteous, He cannot overlook sin. But thanks be to God that Christ came And He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross for sinners. Will you bow your knee to Him in this life or will you do it in the next? It will happen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You so much for Your mercy. Thank You that You are a rock. I thank You that You have provided a sacrifice for sinners. And I pray that You would help Your people not to be tossed to and fro by the wind, but to joyfully look upon what You have ordained for their lives 
in humble expectation and hope that all things are working together for your purpose. And that you have a purpose for everything that we are experiencing. So help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be despondent. But joyful knowing that you are coming soon. Or we are coming soon. We pray on this in Christ's name. Amen.